Proverbs chapter 16, I'm going to read verses 1 and 4 and 9 and 32. There's a theme running through these verses, so please follow along or listen to 1, 4, 9, and I said 32, 33. 1, 4, 9, and the last one. The plans of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And now verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for the day of battle. And now verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And then finally the last verse, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. From the reading of the word of God, let us all say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. My sermon today is going to be even shorter than ever. Because I want to give Don optimum time for an important report that he's giving. Um, When I was a teenager, I read the book of Proverbs. I recommend that all teenagers read the book of Proverbs again and again. The book of Proverbs is designed to give young people what? Wisdom. Do they need wisdom? I mean, they're already full of wisdom, right? They don't need any more, right? No, they need wisdom. And you know, it's just arranged. God just arranged it this way. He didn't set the chapters, but they are set aside as a separate list of Proverbs. How many, in our inspired canon, how many actual chapters are there in Proverbs? 31. What do you know? We have no month on our calendar that has more than 31 days. So you know what you could do? You could read the proverb that corresponds to the particular day of the month, and you would read through the book of Proverbs every month. You'd miss it on February and a couple of other months, maybe uh, 30 or, or 31. But basically, you'd be reading through the book of Proverbs every month. Today is the, what's the date today? 20, 22nd. So today, guess what proverb you would read? 22nd. If I were you, I would, oh, by the way, this isn't true only for teenagers. Adults also need wisdom. I'd go home and just read that. If I were you, really, probably no better, if you're already a Christian, no better place to start. If you're not a Christian, talk with one of us about that. You should maybe read 1 John or the book of John. But if you're already a believer, read the book of Proverbs. So I was reading the book of Proverbs, and I came to chapter 16, Proverbs 16, and it just, it just struck me as a youth how the, the theme of God's providence kept coming up. God's providence. Did you notice that in those verses? God's providence? So I'd like to call that the uh, providence providence. Now what do I mean by providence? Now that's a term we sometimes use, but it's very important we know what it means. By pro- what it means. By providence, I mean God's working in our lives and in human history to accomplish his good plan. That's God's providence. Providence means that God is constantly at work in his creation, and particularly with us, man, as his crown of creation, and even more so with believers who trusted in his son. Actually, if you think about this, the whole story of the Bible is really a story about God's providence. 
really is. You know the Bible doesn't really tell you much, if anything at all, about what was going on in eternity past. And frankly, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about what's going to happen in heaven. Now, it's a little bit, but most of the Bible doesn't talk about heaven. It'll be there when we get there, and it'll be glorious, and it'll be great. But that's not mainly why the Bible was written, because we will see Jesus Christ face to face and be with God and the Holy Spirit forever. But the book of the Bible was written for our situation on earth right now. Now, providence means that God hasn't left the world to himself. This, by the way, is the second sermon on providence today. God led Nikki to preach the first one. He didn't know what I was going to say. But it's just absolutely right down the line what he said while I'm speaking. Providence means that God just didn't create everything as a watchmaker creates a watch and then step back and observe its ticking. This is very important to understand. It's not just God created all things and God said, look what an amazing creator I am. I created it so well that I'm going to step back and everything's going to run fine on its own. Brother or sister, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is actively at work upholding us, sustaining us. He's getting the gospel here. He's working in floods and diseases and healings and getting knowledge here. And automobiles going here and there. Andrew, you say, Andrew, are you saying that God's just kind of like at work all the time, moving things around here? And yeah, it's like that. He's just constantly at work in our world. Providence means God is actively at work. It doesn't mean that God is a puppet. That man is a puppet, rather, and God's the great puppet master. That God's kind of pulling the strings behind the screen to get man to accomplish his will. In fact, God's greatness is seen in the fact that he can give man a will, and he can give man a choice. And all of that, and we can make our free choices, comparatively free choices, and he can still work with us and accomplish his work in the world. Say, how is God able to do that? Because we have the power to resist God, and we have a will, and we can do evil things. It's very obvious that we can. So how then can God do that? How is that possible? God doesn't force us. He didn't make us machines. But he's so powerful. He's able to work with us and in human history. And even with all of our choices, even our bad choices, and he's still able to work and arrange things with his providence to accomplish his will. Only the God of the Bible can do that. He's remarkable. I don't want to look at each of these four verses very briefly, each of them very briefly today. Verse 1, the plans of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now, you know what, man, we, my man, I mean males and females, we humans, we lay out all of our plans. You know, we just love to lay out plans. All of us do. All of us do. We love to lay out our plans. But, you know, God accomplishes his purposes despite our plans. Now, Solomon was the author of this, the human author. Notice he doesn't say that man shouldn't plan. He doesn't say, you shouldn't be planning. God is sovereign. You should never, never plan. That's not what he says. God gives us a mind. He expects us to plan. He gives some of us great mental gifts. We look into the future. We look at all the evidence available. And we lay out plans. And that's a good thing. But know this. No matter what our plans are, God always disposes of his will. That is, he always accomplishes his will. Now, this verse teaches a remarkable truth. 
It teaches that man, doesn't teach man as a machine. It teaches that God allows and expects us to make plans. But he uses and overrules our plans to accomplish his will. Now, I must say, that fact should be a great comfort to us. Our success in the world and God's will in the world are not dependent on our plans. Now, we have crafted, haven't we, all of us, these great, brilliant, spectacular plans for our life, our family, our church, politicians for the nation. Oh, my, it's just, look, yeah, don't we just have all these plans? And don't we act it secretly, we get great satisfaction when we come up with a good plan. That is a good plan. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go here. I'm going to say this. This is a really good plan. I like this plan, and I'm going to accomplish this plan, and it's going to be great. And we somehow think that if our plans aren't accomplished, everything's going to come crashing down. Brother and sister, everything's not going to come crashing down. God knows what he wants. He knows, and what he wants is best for him and for us. Did you get that? What he wants is best for him and for us, and we will accomplish what he wants, and our little sandcastle plans aren't going to thwart him. They're not. Second, verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Wow. I don't know if there's a clear verse in the Bible teaching us that everything that God has made, everything that he has made has a purpose. There's nothing random in this universe, nothing chaotic in this universe. I watch a lot of movies lately. They stress the randomness of the universe. Everything's chaotic. There's no meaning. You have to give it meaning. You don't have to give it meaning. The universe had meaning a long time before you were around, and it'll have meaning a long time after we're gone, because God gives it meaning. The arrangement of the stars, we look up at them, that may look chaotic. It may seem as though single grains of beet sand don't have a purpose, but everything has a purpose. God created all things with a purpose. And this means, this means that we don't live in a cold universe. We live in a very warm universe. Humanists and secularists sometimes, when they're astronauts, fly into outer space, they often see only a cold and dark vacuum. They don't see that God has a reason for making space the way that he does. They don't understand that the beauty of the galaxies and stars and planets might just require this stark black background to show his glorious artistry. God said, you want to see how beautiful? Oh, by the way, how many of you have seen some of the pictures that have come back, the deep space pictures from the Hubble telescopes? They're, they're just, you look at them, even just pictures, and it's like... And God, no doubt, decided to put them on this utterly inky black background so you could see the glorious light. This, it, there's just, it's just spectacular. We don't have words for how beautiful this is. It's just spectacular. Our atheists, of course, and humanists, secularists, they can only see a purposeless bleakness and blackness. But God created everything for a purpose. And this means that everything is important. And did you notice the last part of that verse? Even the wicked for the day of trouble? Now, that's a stunning comment. Talk about the sovereignty of God. You say, no, wait a minute, Andrew. Does this mean that God forces people into sinning? No, the Bible says God's not the author of sin. 
But it does mean that God uses men's depravity and evil to accomplish his will. I don't see how God could use anything evil to accomplish his will. Well, that's very easy to refute if you think about it. Uh, God used wicked men to pull off the greatest event of human history. What was the greatest event of human history? The cross. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And would you like to know what Acts 2, verse 23 says about that? You, by wicked hands, Peter says, have taken through the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God and have accomplished this. God didn't force anybody to sin and murder Jesus Christ. But he used it as a part of his plan to accomplish the greatest event in all of human history. That shows you how, God, how amazing God's sovereignty is. How amazing. Wicked men meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. Only God can do that. There's another remarkable comfort for God's people. No matter how we're treated, no matter what depraved politicians are doing, no matter how tyrants are savaging godly and innocent people, it's going on right now in Iraq and other places, no matter... No matter what diseases, no matter what destruction, no matter what deprivation confronts us, know this. God is accomplishing all things for his purpose. And since his purposes include working out everything that is good for his people, we never have a reason to despair, even in the most difficult circumstances. We never have a reason to despair. Because God has so arranged the universe and works in the universe that evil is not going to win. You've heard of Nietzsche, a philosopher that talked about the will to power. Man has a will. He can accomplish anything by his will. That is just so insane. Man is so weak. You just sort of like the cars you go, the, the little bumper cars, or you're riding around, and you want to give it more gas, but it's set that it, it only goes like about, you know, 8.4 miles an hour. And you want to get away from somebody, and somebody's bearing down on you in the bumper car, and you go... And it doesn't go any faster. It just doesn't go any faster. That's like the wicked. They have a will. I'm going to accomplish this. Wicked politicians, wicked people in society, wicked people that have mistreated us, people that have mistreated the church. I have a will, but eh, they push as hard as they want. God's going to say, no, you, I'm, you can go as far as I want, and then I'm going to stop. Then you're going to be judged. It's amazing. We never have reason to despair. And then notice in verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now that verse is similar to verse 1, but you notice there is a difference. We godly individuals make our plans, but the Lord is the one who establishes where we're going. Now making plans for life is important. I often tell young people that I've talked to over the years, and I'd like to tell you young people, blessed is the man who aims at nothing, for he will surely hit it. So everybody's sitting around that, you know, is 19 or 22 and saying, I don't know what I'm going to do, man. It just kind of, just kind of the day comes to me and I don't know. I just kind of, I sometimes have to wake up early. I got to get up at like 1130 in the morning and it's just kind of really rough. I got to go work, work. So, man, I just got to just work my job. It's like two hours and it's just so hard. And I come home and have a milkshake and it's just kind of really, I'm just hoping things, things will probably get better for me one day. Somebody's just going to call me. That kind of, I'm being a little fun. No, there's nothing wrong with having aims in life. Nothing wrong whatsoever. God doesn't call us to be aimless. He encourages us 
to sit down and plan. In some of the parables, he says that we need to sit down and plan. But know this. Most of the time where we actually end up is quite different from where we plan to be. We plan, and we plan effectively, but God beautifully derails our plans. There was a fine and a lovely and godly young woman from a very godly family who decided to go, she was a nurse, and she decided to go to a Bible college, and she was going to be a medical missions nurse in Africa, and she would have made a great one. But God used me to derail her plans, and it's my wife. I am so glad God used me to derail because it's been a beautiful plan. If I took a survey today, uh, and I asked those of you here that are just a little older, um, 20 years ago, what did you expect to be doing today? Almost nobody would say, I'm doing just exactly what I thought I would do. I'm doing just exactly. No, I suspect that's not true. I myself uh, plan and expected to be a a college English teacher, or maybe in my loftiest dreams, a college president. But God, thank God, had different plans. And I'm sure the same is true with those of you here that are a little older. Now, <clears throat> here's the point I want to make. If this fact is true of our past and our present, it's also true of our present and our future. We make plans today, then we sometimes worry about those plans. We're unsettled about how we devise those plans. We're worried about how they're going to turn out. And if they tip this way or that, oh, we get all upset. Oh, no. My beautiful sand castle of plans. I took so much time on this beautiful sand castle. And God sent a little wave and knocked it down. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Finally, verse 33, the last verse. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Now that verse might well be the most amazing of all. In the ancient world, uh, when people needed to make decisions, they would often cast lots. Now we don't know what lots are today, not lots in this sense. Today we'd say it's like rolling dice or flipping a coin. In fact, some translations actually say that. The New English Testament says like throwing dice. That's not what it really says in the Hebrew, but that's kind of the idea. Now, interestingly, the Bible doesn't really teach that this is wrong, per se. Now, it is wrong if God's already shown you his will. You don't say, um, God, now, um, there's this, there's this gal, and she's not really my wife, but I'm just thinking, you know, I'm going to look at her, and maybe I'm going to look at her, you know, I don't even know whether it's right or wrong. I'm going to put the point in. You show me. Heads, I can be weather, tails, you don't want me to. Oh, that's blasphemy. God's already shown you his will, plainly. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about areas where God has not revealed his will specifically. So godly people in the ancient world would cast lots. Now, when they did this, they were basically acknowledging that God is in control of flipping coins. God is in control of dice that move here and there. God's not an absentee father. God's interested in his children. He wants to govern their decisions. And he's so interested that he will change the movement of coins. He'll change the turn of dice to show them his will. That's the point. Now, there's a deeper issue here. This verse is quite clearly implying that God will show his will to his people who are honestly seeking his will. The book of James says that. If you lack wisdom, you cry out to the Lord and he shows us. 
And that leads me to the final thing that I'd like to say today. Years ago, there was an older gospel minister, and he offered a piece of advice that I'll never forget. This is one of those pieces of advice you really, really need to think about and tease out all parts of it. And once you tease out all parts of it, you find out it's true. When you first hear it, it sounds, hmm, that's interesting. But after you think about it, you find out that it's true. He said this, if it pleases you to please the Lord, you can do as you please. Now, in other words, if you want to please God, your desires are going to be in line with his will, correct? If you head in the wrong direction, God's going to change your direction. And that's going to please you because you want to please God. This isn't talking about people who say, God, here's what I want, and I'm really hoping you want it. God, I've written it all out. Will you sign your name there, God, please, right now? No, you're going here, and you want to please God, and God derails you. I but I don't want to be derailed. This is what I wanted to do. This is what I thought was right for my family. This is what I thought was right for our church. This is what I thought was right for my business. This is what I thought was right. And frankly, God, I don't appreciate it. That's not what this is talking about. If people want to please God more than anything, if they want to please God more than anything, they'll be happy with his leadership because they only want to please God. By the way, this is why people who want to please God at all costs never need worry about stepping outside of the will of God. I've talked to good Christian young people before, and they're so sensitive to God's will. I just don't know. I'm, there's this job opportunity, and I'm so worried. I want to please God so much. And if I take this job, I'm not sure if I'm stepping out of God's will, or there's a guy that I'm dating or a young lady, and I'm just not sure. And I just don't know, and I just don't know. But I want to please God more than anything. And guess what? They don't, if they really want to please God, they don't have to worry. Because if they take a step in the wrong direction, do you think God's going to say, How dare you? Do that. He's not going to say that. Here, I'm going to put a little circumstance here, or lead you in a way that you're not going to do that. Because you want to please me, you're going to go back in the right direction. God doesn't use bully clubs on his children that love him and want to please him and serve him. Now, sometimes God, God does have to get out. Not a mean bully club, but a little harsh bully club to those who say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, no matter what the cost, and you're not going to tell me what to do. Yeah, sometimes God has to get his bully club on you. Boop, boop, boop. Nope, you're not going to do that. But, but we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about people that want to please God. And if you want to please God more than anything, at all costs, you don't have to worry about stepping outside the will of God. Where the Bible's clear, people like that will gladly obey it. Where God's word doesn't speak, they're going to move ahead. They'll try to please God because they know that if they make a misstep or a mistake, God's going to arrange the circumstances to show them how they need to retrace their steps. If it pleases you to please the Lord, you can do as you please. In short, and listen to this, the will of God is not complex to people who believe in the providence of God. Now think about that. The will of God is not hard to people who believe in God's providence. Say, Lord, I'm at your disposal at all times. I want to obey your word. Please lead me. Give me great direction. And you know what God will do? God will do that. If you believe Proverbs 16, God's constantly at work in our lives. He's constantly at work in the world. You won't be filled with anxiety about stepping outside of his pleasure because it pleases God to please people who want to please him. It pleases God to please people who want to please him. In all of our decisions, family and church 
and business and money and friends. If we rest in God's good providence, we can live our lives filled with confidence. We're not going to go astray because God would never lead his people astray. He would never lead us astray. Let us bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to ask Michelle to pray that God gives all of us a heightened sense of his good providence in the world. Father, thank you so much that you did hide yourself from